Welcome back to Dressing the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on this lovely Friday afternoon. Our guest is Father Timothy Vaverick, and he's written this wonderful book. I humbly urge all of you to purchase a copy of it and share it with your friends after you've read it. It's called As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ, where he underscores the nuptial theme of not just, not just the biblical covenants, but the entirety of covenant life in the Catholic, within the Catholic faith. Too often, the gospel in history has been presented in Western culture as legal metaphors. But what Father Weverick does is he represents the entirety of the gospel and and covenant theology as a whole in familial terms. He presents it in nuptial terms as a loving relationship between relatives, as spouses, and he he presents it in in a truly beautiful manner. So I, I would like to have all of us take a good look at this book and just pay attention to what Father Weverick has to share with us. He's a priest of the Diocese of Austin, serving as pastor for Assumption Parish in the city of West. His hometown is San Marcos, San Marcos, where he graduated with a degree in physics from Texas State. And in seminary, he studied at the University of Dallas and the Gregorian University in Rome. He received his doctorate from the Angelicum, and his studies focused on ecclesiology, apostolic ministry, Newman, and ecumenism. Since his ordination, he was ordained in 1985. His ministry has been in parishes for the most part, and he has published in various journals and writes for thecatholicthing.org. Father Vaverek, it's an honor and a blessing to have you in the program. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, thank you for having me on today. Oh, Look no. Forward to the conversation. <laughs> I've been wanting to have you on for a while now, uh, every, every time I guest host, and it's, it's so great that we were finally able to connect. So I read your book with much enthusiasm for a lot of reasons, and I don't know if Dr. Han uh, mentioned this to you. He he directed my master's thesis, which was exactly on the same th- same topic, and I wish your book had been published at least four to five years earlier because, <laughs> because it would have served as a good resource for a lot of the claims I was making that there's an inherently nuptial character to all of the biblical covenants. So let's start from a kind of overarching uh, schema of what you're proposing here. And and you do this very well in your introduction. You you talk about how Christianity is a challenge, and yet it's inherently beautiful. So let's begin there, and then we, we'll dive into a couple of themes. All right. Yes, well, Christianity is, um, you had the beautiful uh, words of St. John Eudes, um, Christianity is about living um the mystery of Jesus, living uh, the mystery in Jesus. Um, and the mystery, of course, in question isn't a puzzle, or it's not Agatha Christie or Columbo. Um, uh, a Christian mystery is um, a deep, um, profound reality. Uh, it's a divine reality, in fact, that, that so far exceeds us that we can never hope to entirely take it in and grasp it and understand it and explain it. But we, it can only be experienced and known by being lived. Um, so it engages the whole person. You have to enter into it. And this is what Christ has done. He's allowed us to enter into the very life of God. Mm. Um, and Christ came. Why did Christ come? To forgive sins? We didn't have to go to hell? Well, yes, but, but that's, really not the, that's really the flip side of things. The, the reason he came was to, as he said himself, to draw us to himself. Um, and this was in fulfillment of God's promise that he would unite his people to himself um, as, a, as a bride is united to, a, to the bridegroom. Um, and it is that, that sharing of life by which, although we remain distinct uh, from the Lord, we are together made one with him. 
um, as as husband and wife remain distinct but are one in marriage. That is what it means to be living the mystery of Christ. It means to be united to him, share his life, and therefore sharing his, his saving work. And, and that's where the beauty comes in for us. That we're actually, we're not just um, the handiwork of God. We're his co-workers. We're, we're involved with the salvation of the world. Yep. That's, that's... not how we usually view things, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, no. We've, uh, we've developed a, unfortunately, and there's a lot of reasons for this between empiricism and uh, modern philosophies that you know the the via moderna it's it's presented this fragmented worldview this individualistic fragmented worldview and and almost this uh, each individual is a microcosm to himself as opposed to microcosms within the macrocosm of of this metaphysical covenantal worldview so in page 53 when you're talking about the the trinitarian economy you zoom into aspects of the trinity that are attributes that we recognize in the old testament the Hebrew terms such as tzedakah, which, which you know, it, it translates into righteousness or justice in English. Uh, you've got emet, which which translates into a kind of covenantal truth and fidelity, and and chesed, which is uh, love and mercy. So, so why why did you feel the need to bring up these themes? They're very prominent in the Old Testament, but why did you feel the need to bring up these themes for your reader? Well, that's precisely why, um, because they are the prominent char- characteristics that God revealed about himself uh, in the course of the Old Testament. And therefore, they are at the heart of who God is. Um, and, and by trying to get back to the revealed understanding of these terms, um, rather than the meaning we give to the words today, helps us then to recover the revelation that God has made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is this is the case, particularly with the... Uh, with the concept of tzedakah, the the justice or righteousness of God, we turn this, we've turned this into a sort of a legalistic construct mm-hmm. where to be just is to to render to someone else what is their due, and to be righteous is to you know not put it with people who behave unjustly. <laughs> uh, uh, but this but this is not who God is. He doesn't turn away from those who have behaved badly. Mm-hmm. Um, he he isn't just out to give people what is owed to them. Well, well, nothing is owed to us, in fact, since, since we don't even have a right to exist. Yep. Uh, so so tzedakah has a, has a b- much broader meaning. It's, mm-hmm. it's a generosity. So, that, for instance, in the Old Testament, uh, the just man lends to those in need. <laughs> he gives, <laughs> actually, to those in need. Take care of the widow, the mm-hmm. orphan. Okay, this isn't what we normally understand as justice and the way we use the word today. Right. Uh, and it makes all the difference in the world. Because is God's justice, is God's justice directed on giving people what they deserve, um, in which case we're all in very, very serious trouble, uh, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. is it um, his justice, a uh, generosity that is directed toward giving us what we need? And what, what do sinners need? They need, they need uh, forgiveness. They need the opportunity of true conversion. They need hope of reconciliation. And this is how God's justice is manifested, mm-hmm. um, by this generosity, which calls us back to himself and enables us to come back to himself. And that's, um, that's true what, what justice truly is. And in this way, there is no con- conflict in God between his justice and his mercy. His mercy, in fact, is the expression of his justice, right. because his mercy is the expression of his desire to give to us what is good and, and, and what we need. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have this picture of God as being like at war with himself, 
<laughs> because on the one hand, he wants to be just and punish people. On the other hand, he wants to show them mercy. Right, right. This is a, this is a distortion. Absolutely. There is no dichotomy and juxtaposition between the justice and mercy of God within the divine essence. We're talking to Father Timothy Vaverek, priest of the Diocese of Austin and author of As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ, published by Emmaus Road Press. So I'd like to revisit that by... You do a really good job of also zooming into the concept of hesed, and I, I do a lot of uh, biblical sco- uh, scholarship and exegesis, just as you do, and translating Hebrew concepts that are st- very, very deeply covenantal becomes very problematic in English. English is, 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 is a rather mechanical language compared to Hebrew expressions. You do a good job of it, but, but also try to help us understand how to view this concept of hesed in our nuptial relationship with God. Well, love, chesed, um, understood as uh, love, is not, it's not primarily emotional, mm-hmm. um, it's not an emotional uh, concept, right? It's, it's God's uh, unitive intention in his relationship to us, right? Um, mm-hmm. And yes, in, in, in English we have so romanticized and made subjective the concept of love mm-hmm. um, that we don't we don't understand its full meaning. The, the function of love is is, is that it unites. Mm. And now that union, um, when that union is with what is uh, actually good, thus it produces joy. Um, it produces a, um, a state of well-being because all is right with all is right with the world, um, and. Um, so this is what we're seeking in our relationship to God is to re- to respond with to the generosity by which He has drawn us to Himself to unite us to Himself. We then are responding by seeking to be united to Him. Uh, uh, but as as uh, Saint John tells us, um, salvation consists in this: not that we have first loved God, <laughs> that we have first sought union with Him, but that rather He has first loved us. That is, that he has sought us for our sake to be united to him. He, he doesn't need that. Mm. That's, that's offering us what is good for us, and he thus draws us to himself in Jesus. Amen. And chesed is the way that we then say yes to that and allow ourselves to be drawn into union with him and, and thus in Christ being drawn to union with everyone else as well. Mm-hmm. And that's why you make this bold claim after that. You lay out the groundwork so that you can make this claim that the nuptial covenant is the blueprint and culmination of the Trinity's economy and work of creation and salvation. You essentially point out the fact that this is what it has always been about. Yes, right. Um Yes, I'm simply pointing out what is already maintained in Scripture, right? I mean, St. Paul tells us in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 that the passage in Genesis, the commentary in, that's embedded in Genesis on the creation of the woman, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm-hmm. Paul tells us that this refers, this is a mystery. There's that word again. This is a mystery. Mm-hmm. It refers to Christ and the Church. Now that is radical. That is that is revolutionary beyond any you know anything Co- Copernicus or Einstein ever did. <laughs> Amen. Right? Because because what it means is that when God made Adam and Eve, and He made them as a married couple, 
he made them after the pattern of Christ in the church. This means that from from the very beginning, um, this has been um, God's plan for our salvation has entailed that union um, with him as the church. You know, we're not individually, strictly speaking, we're not individually the spouses of God. We mm-hmm. are as we are members. That's, we're not individually the body of Christ either, right? Right. We are members of the body and bride of Christ. And his plan was to gather humanity and and bring it into union with himself for, for our sake. Thank you, Father Viverek. And I'd love to continue this conversation uh, in future episodes. So just let's continue to keep in touch. Until next time. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon with me, Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. We were really blessed to have Father Timothy Vaverek uh, talking to us in the last segment, and I did say that I'd love to have him on again in a future segment. Well, we're really blessed that he's joining us on this segment. So, Father Vaverek, let's continue our conversation on Hesed. Uh, we, We left off with you talking about the the attribute of divine love. You talked about how we can be demonstrators of Hesed, covenant, fidelity, and love to God, but that God himself demonstrates hesed to us. In fact, you even said that in your book, you say that the supreme expression of hesed is the eternal plan through which God unites mankind to himself through the person of Jesus Christ. So just help us understand that, this, this supreme manifestation of the love of God in, in the incarnation. Yes, well, this is the, the uh, utterly uh, uh, otherwise unimaginable depth of God's humility, right? Uh, God humbles himself um, to create a universe. I mean, for us, that's a big thing. But for God, this is, this is, this is nothing. Um, <laughs> he, he creates the universe. He creates us for our sake, not, not for his sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and he undertakes then to commit himself to our well-being. He, he stoops. He humbles himself from, from the first moment of creation uh, with this purpose in mind that we should be drawn to share together in his divine life and have joy in him with one another uh, forever in heaven. And so there's only a single plan at work. There's not a number of different kind of plans. Go to plan A, plan B, <laughs> right. plan C. It's all one plan. And once we see that, then we can begin to understand the, the progressive way that he's revealing this uh, throughout the Old Testament in, prepar- in preparation for is coming in the flesh um, as the son of Mary. Um, and so in that context, the, the humilia- humiliation in the sense of the humbling of, of God by, by taking flesh and being born, born of Mary is uh, um, certainly extreme, but, it, but it's, it's also simply a manifestation of the same self-giving that he has demonstrated from, from, from the beginning toward us. Right, and and then now we are called, as Saint Paul says in the Philippians, this is what he means when Paul says we are to have the attitude that is ours in Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. who, though he was God, did not deem his dignity as God something to be grasped, but emptied himself out. Um, we are to empty ourselves out in love and chesed or caritas um, to um, charity, uh, to empty ourselves out in the service of God and neighbor in Jesus, not simply trying to imitate or act like Jesus, but 
in Jesus. We're sharing his life. We're not just trying to act like him. We are one with him, and so he is at work in us, and we are at work in him. That's that's just, to use an old-fashioned term, that's, that's pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> is that the technical term? It's mind-blowing? That's the technical term, <laughs> uh, and it should be right up there with the heart-opening, right? Mind-blowing and heart-opening, uh, because it causes us to, it should cause us to really just stop and stare mm. at what it is who God is, what he's doing for us, and what he's allowing us to to be part of. Right. I have to tell you, one of the great joys I have, one of the great blessings that many cradle Catholics remind me that I have is in having fallen away from the church and having had poor catechesis, I'm now coming to the faith with really fresh eyes. And and I'm finding these things that a lot of people have grown up with and almost taken for granted as these mind-blowing realities, just like you said, and therefore heart-opening realities. So when I read in your work... Uh, pages one one six and one one seven. When you when you list out Paul's great kenosis hymn in Philippians two, I my heart started singing and soaring because it, it's one of my favorite parts of the New Testament. So you you mentioned this great hymn. And for those of you who don't know what kenosis is, Father's going to tell us right now. Father, what is kenosis? Let's not presume that we all understand for for the plebeians such as I. Sure. So kenosis is the Greek word that's used in that passage when it talks about. Uh, Christ emptying, him, emptying himself out. Now, in modern times, this has been terribly um, um, misinterpreted as if somehow Jesus set aside his divine identity mm-hmm. or something like this. Um, but what, what it means is, he. well, we would say the same thing in English, that I poured myself out for someone. Or as I, I think I used the language in the book of um, Churchill, blood, sweat, tears, and toil, or... Or Lincoln, who talks about the last full measure of devotion for the soldiers at the, in, the, in the Civil War. To empty yourself is not to cease to be yourself or get rid of your identity. Right. It is to give yourself, to pour yourself out in authentic service to what is good for the other. In the case of God, it is simply acknowledging God and his beauty and his goodness and his greatness. And for our neighbor, it's it's becoming a means of God's love touching their lives. It, it's a means of God entering into their life and lifting them up spiritually and material in the circumstances and troubles of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what, ultimately, when Paul says our attitude must be that of Christ, it, it, it mean, that's what it means. It means to pour ourselves out in that way. Right. And, you know, Paul Paul doesn't, he, this the sentence of the pouring out, this concept of being poured out doesn't exist in a vacuum. Paul is very fond of this this notion of of the giving of self un, until nothing is left. We see in Second uh, Timothy four verse six where he talks about uh, I'm even now I'm being poured out like a libation. Now he uses a different word. He doesn't use uh, kenosis. He says uh, he uses the, the the Greek word spendo. So the the, the declension spendomai. But it's the same thing. He, he's talking about we need to be poured out because Christ poured Himself out first. So going back to, you know, you, uh, you quoted my quote of St. John Eudes. Um, you know, we, we are participating in, in the great pouring out of Jesus Christ. We are. We, we are. And, and that, in fact, is, as I discussed in, in, in the book, that's what metanoia is. Mm. That, that's what um, the metanoia can be translated as repentance or penitence. Uh, that's what the Christian life is all about. Right? It's not about simply being sorry for our sins or walking in contrition for our sins or, 
or doing particular fasts or so uh, you know, penitential acts in the, in the sense of uh, acts of self uh, self sacrifice. Uh, metanoia is all that, but it's but it's more, and it's and it has a goal. Its purpose uh, isn't to make up for the sins we committed. Um, its purpose is to be transformed mm. by by being poured out with Christ and turning away from our selfishness and turning toward Him. So that instead of trying to fill ourselves up through selfishness, we're pouring ourselves out together with and in Jesus. Right. So this is why Paul says that I no longer live; it is Christ who lives in me. Right. He, he, he's experiencing life that his life is a life now that is hidden in Christ Jesus. He's he is being poured out, and the whole of the Christian life becomes in this way an act of worship to God. Mm. Hence the the language of being poured out like a libation, a, a spiritual offering. Right. Um, that that is what to be a Christian means, and that that whole process then is a purification. It is a it is a progressive growth um, in a right relationship with God, as Jude says. We don't live that mystery fully yet. Yes, but that's the whole point. By by living our Christian life each day, we're entering more and more into the reality of who Jesus is, and, and we are being purified. Our heart is being perfected so that we can have a pure heart and pure mind and be able to see God face to face. That's the that's the goal of uh, every human per- person to. See God face to face, and and then what is Saint John says to become like Him. Mm. We'll become like Him because this is what love does. It unites, and you can see in a, a couple that's been married many years that they're 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 they're, they're just one. They're one, and they're kind of like each other in certain ways, right? Um, they can finish each other's sentences, right? And when we have that kind of union with Jesus uh, within our life in the church. Uh, when that comes to perfection, uh, we will be fully united with him. There'll be no separation between us and him. So you make the, between one another. So you make the statement that you make the statement that I guarantee, as readers read this, it, you know, you, your, your book is so beautiful and so mystical, and it uplifts us. But at the same time, you don't shy away from the hard punches because you make certain statements that I, I guarantee, as some of us are reading, we're like, yes, that's true, but also, ouch. For example, there's there's one statement on uh, page 140 where you say, we find this way of, of uh, kenosis, Jesus's way of kenosis, uh, negative only because we chafe at the constraint that sharing God's holiness places on our selfishness. I mean, what a whopper of a sentence. <laughs> but then you <laughs> well, go on to say, but this is why the Trinity chose kenosis as the path for both the bridegroom and the bride. So we have about three minutes. You know, just help us understand. We need to we need to embrace our spousal identity, and we do it through suffering. That's what you're saying to us. Well, we do, we we do it through love, mm. but we know from Jesus that, and much of the book centers on this fact that in a fallen world, to love will have to entail suffering as well. Mm-hmm. We don't suffer just to suffer, right? And we don't even we don't even as such. Um, share Christ's suffering on the cross in order simply to share his suffering. We share his suffering only in as much as in love we have been united to him. Mm-hmm. Right? So the suffering is a fruit of love. When Jesus loved sinners, this was painful beyond our imagination. We would have to love perfectly as God loves to understand how Jesus' humanity was traumatized, we might say, um, certainly um, suffered 
um, in the face of what we do to ourselves, to others, and what is done to, and done to us. But what Jesus has done by loving us in that context is he has placed himself there. So, so when we love him in return and we love others the way we're supposed to, and as a result, we experience sorrow over our sins, the sins of others, we, there, we find Christ there. There's no tragedy that can unfold that Christ isn't already there, knowing exactly what it is that's happening to us and calling us now to, to, to join him in bearing that sorrow when sorrow has to be born and rejoicing when, it is, when it's time and place to rejoice. Because he's sharing all these things with us. Because he's first made them his own by, by embracing us from the cross. Mm. And so now we can live it out because he already has. He's gone before us and prepared the way. Oh, that's, that's, that's truly wonderful. So we have, we have about 30 seconds. Your priestly exhortation to us as Advent approaches and we silently await the arrival of our Lord who is to be our bridegroom. Well, let us be praying, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Let us stay, stay awake, keep watch, and be prayerful, mm. looking for the one who is the desire of every human heart. And and who has already come for us and is going to return to claim us for his own. If we could live that reality through prayer, self-sacrifice, and works of mercy each day, we would find ourselves tumbling deeper and deeper into the heart of Jesus. Father Timothy, Father Viverek, it's been an honor. You've set my heart on fire just, just by having this conversation. And I urge all of you to pick up the book, As I Have Loved You, Rediscovering Our Salvation in Christ by Emmaus Road Publishing. Uh, I've been talking to the author, Father Timothy Vaverek. Stay tuned as we continue to have conversations of consequence with me, Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the Afternoon.